Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Bruce Mack, owner of Platinum Financing Group. How are you doing, Bruce? Fantastic. Thanks for asking. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us. I know you're an extremely busy guy, and I know you've got a ton of content to bring our way today. Uh, we were just kind of briefly chatting before we got started here on all of the different topics that you know we can touch base on, specifically for real estate investors. So before we jump into that, kind of briefly introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is that you do in this world. All righty. Well, thanks. Uh, let me just jump right into it. I'm a licensed financial advisor, uh, speaker, author. Uh, I've been a very active real estate investor. In a three-year period of time, I bought, rehabbed, and flipped over 160 properties. I've been involved in personally over $92 million worth of real estate transactions, of both single family and multifamily. Uh, and as such, I really can connect and do connect with investors from what it is they're looking for and what it is that they need in both uh, the two most important areas in their real estate investing career. One is for funding, financing, getting deals done, uh, rehab monies, these types of monies. And then secondly, uh, our other division is for our asset protection trusts, which not only are for bulletproof or what we call our titanium, pardon the pun, uh, titanium vault asset protection, but they're also for significant, significant tax mitigation, which we'll jump into in the second segment. So uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah, and I think all of those things are important, right? And and right off the bat, I, I want to jump into financing and, and funding because, you know, without that, we can't do anything. And it sounds like you have a, a ton of creative solutions for investors, which so often, you know, as investors, we're, we're taught to be creative. And that's where we talk about, you know, maybe a seller carry back or owner financing or taking a property subject to but what are some of the creative solutions that you offer to investors uh, from your company? Well, let's talk about a couple of them. Uh, I, I'm going to just take a wild stab at the fact that many of the folks that are on today are uh, flippers. And mm -hmm. as flippers, they're, they're doing a, a certain amount of their flips. They're doing wholesale uh, flips where they may not even be doing uh, the rehab uh, before they do the flip. They're just sending it, you know, getting it off their plate and taking their lick. Mm -hmm. uh, because of the meltdown in 2008, now flippers uh, cannot just only do an assignment of contract. You need to close at escrow. And when you close at escrow, you have to pay for the house. And when you have to pay for the house, that means you got to come up with the cash out of pocket. That oftentimes is a crushing deal for somebody who wants to do wholesale. Uh, so we have a solution. It's our transactional funding. It's for A to B and B to C flips, where we will send the money to escrow on your behalf and it'll sit there during the closing of the uh, of the transaction, 
and our rates for that are ridiculously low. Uh, they're 1.75% plus a $495 processing fee. So when you guys have deals and you need transactional funding for wholesale uh, flips, this is the perfect solution with our 1.75 and 495 uh, uh, processing fee. Now that's a unique solution. Another one is our revolving lines of credit program, which is a combination of both personal as well as, uh, uh, as, well as business lines of credit. Our average client gets funded out $75,000, as much as $150,000 on a first round of funding. All of it is at 0% APR. I'll say that again, that's 0% APR for up to 21 months. It's a FICO-driven product, but I don't want people to discriminate against themselves and not give us a call. And the reason I say that is, is we've taken many people with the 620, 30, 40 uh, credit score and still gotten them in the game because they were what I call victims of a FICO problem because of their high utilization on their existing credit card balances. And then we sometimes get caught in the, if I could, I would, meaning that when we ask them, can you pay down your balances so we can get you into the program so that your scores will go up before we put you through. And it's the old, if I could, I would have, that's why they're high right now. And that's one of the reasons that I want to get funding is so we can, I can lower my balances. Yep. We actually have a funding solution that on a case-by-case -case basis will pay down your credit cards so that your FICO score will spike up and then we can put you through that program to get you the 0%. We also have a term loan program and the term loan program is more driven uh, and with the necessity that the person have approvable employment, either W-2 or 1099 that's going into their personal bank account ideally a minimum of $40,000 a year. And it's a more FICO liberal program in as much as that program, uh, we have gotten people some funding with FICOs as low as 580. So that's a really good program for what it's all about. We also have our BDRA, which is a business directed retirement account. Now, many people that are on the call have a, a retirement account uh, that they are currently using, maybe it's with equity or this or that, and it's a self-directed. Now, this ain't your normal self-directed account. <laughs> Problem with normal self-directed accounts and where we make the difference is normal self-directed accounts only allow you to do um, only allow you to do verticalized transactions, meaning uh, very specifically real estate, stocks and bonds, uh, things such as enhancements to your business for marketing purposes uh, and or other business ventures that you may want to uh, diverse, uh, uh, diversify into, they're off the table, you can't do them. You also can't do self-dealing, mother, father, sister, brother, uh, transactions, it, what we call interfamiliar transactions would be considered to be self-dealing. And thirdly, and maybe most importantly, if you've ever tried to get a uh, uh, funding when you're utilizing your IRA or 401k, it can be very difficult because the, the rule is you can only use, unfortunately, non-recourse lending. Well, non-recourse lending by the very nature of what it is only allows a 50% of LTV and you're going to be paying a point or two higher than you would if it was a recourse loan. So that's very problematic. Enter the BDRA. 
all the things they told you you can't do, you can do with the BDRA, and we can roll over your funds from your current uh, place that you've got it, whether it's at a self-directed or if it's at your uh, at a current employer. But I caution you, if it's at a current employer, we can only move over the amount that you had moved from the previous employer to the current employer because that's carve-outable. So if you had 50,000 at your old employer and currently have an aggregate of 100,000, we can take the 50,000 because they can't hold that. You're allowed to move that at any time. We can put that into the BDRA. Now you can do the self-dealing. Now you can use the money for marketing, for, for doing anything you want, buying courses to uh, increase your, your knowledge base on how to do single family or multifamily. Uh, you can do interfamiliar transactions and yes, you can get the recourse loan so you can get the best rates and the highest LTVs. So that's a great product. Another one that's, of our- That's an amazing product because I mean, I've, I've been in a lot of masterminds and groups and I've never heard somebody talk about those. Real yeah. quick, I want to ask you a question because yeah. I've never asked someone and you might not be the right person. So if you aren't, that's okay, but- I'll let, let you know. <laughs> you brought up the FICO uh, a couple of times here. I mean, does anybody actually know how the FICO scores are calculated? I mean, I know we all know about the, the balance and the amount of inquiries and all of these different things, but I mean, that thing is just an unknown roller coaster all the time. That's a great question. I used to own a licensed and bonded credit repair company, so I have a pretty good core idea However, uh, there are many different uh, models. For instance, there's uh, FICO models for mortgages, FICO models for buying cars, FICO models for consumer credit, and then there's the Vantage scores, and it depends on what institution is using what and what particular day and what version of what. So there's a lot of different issues there as to what composes a FICO depending upon where the repository is that they're pulling from. But if your students would like, if they go on to uh, FICO.com and or they can see a wheel and that wheel represents little pie chart pieces of what uh, different percentage is attributable to what, such as length of credit history, uh, mix of credit history, uh, amount of available credit, so on and so forth. So there is a good kind of basic roadmap that people can look at, which I would encourage them to go to so that they get an idea of what does comprise a FICO and what some of the weighted averages are. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, and let's, let's take you for example. Say I come to you and I say, Bruce, you know, I want to get one of your products. Yes. You've talked about some of them weigh the FICO score heavier than others. Yes. Which FICO score are you pulling on those? Uh, it depends what if we're even pulling and what we what we usually do so we don't pull uh, we because pulling means they're going to get an inquiry right. so what we do is we have our clients pull and we utilize uh, our credit partner and we show them how to get a dollar trial for seven days so that we can get a tri-merged report it's very simple and then what we do is we just log on to their report so that we can review it and we utilize that as the basis to determine what's the best program or programs for somebody work to work and move forward with awesome let's go back to the the line of credit that you were talking about sure 
as a real estate investor, I say I come to you and I get a line of credit. Am I allowed to use that for whatever I want? If I want to go buy a $50,000 property, can I use yes. the line of credit? You have a way of liquidating that and absolutely use, utilizing those funds for uh, payments to escrow. Uh-huh. There you go. And, and how many of your clients right now are, are real estate investors? Is it the majority or, or is it kind of 50-50 with other you clients? Know, because I've been so heavily in the real estate space and put on boot camps for years uh, and speak at so many uh, real estate functions, multifamily, single family, uh, uh, I, I, I have to tell you a good 70% of our portfolio would be real estate investors. Yes. There you go. All right. So I've come to, I've come to Bruce. I've given you, I've went and pulled my own FICO score, let you log in, and I got all kinds of loans from you, right? I'm two to three years into this, and I've bought, you know, just a ton of properties. Uh, I see this happen all the time. Like, as investors, when we first get started, like, we're, we're kind of worried about, are we going to be successful in this business, right? And then it's, where are we going to get the next deal? And then how are we going to fund deals? And then there's, like, this moment where you figured it out. You know how to do lead gen. And you know how you're going to fund your deals. And now you kind of go crazy for a little bit. I, I laugh and joke all the time. And, and I say, I'm the cookie monster, right? Once I figured it out, I was just like, I'm going to buy them all, right? And, and exactly. So, so now here I am. I, I own a bunch of properties. And, and I go, maybe I don't have the best asset protection. So for someone in my shoes where I've been doing this for a little bit and I've bought, how do I reverse course and now get the appropriate asset protection for myself? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so let's start with the fact that there's a big, ugly misnomer that's out there. And the ugly misnomer that's out there is if I have an LLC, it's good for me. Um, and it's just, it ain't so because by design, real estate investors are either solopreneurs or they're, they're, it's them and their spouse or significant other and maybe a partner. In any case, they're considered to be tightly held entities. And as tightly held entities, any litigator can piss through the corporate veil and get to uh, the inside of the of that entity because it's not widely held utilizing what's called the alter ego and the points and authorities and alleging that you've created a facade and you're acting kind of like a marionette puppeteer controlling what's going on and truly that is what's going on so unfortunately they are easy to pierce not only that they're also costly costly in terms of time and costly in terms of money for instance, in California, you're paying $800 plus to the Franchise Tax Board for each LLC on an annualized basis and for each LLC um, uh, for the tax return. The average tax return that we find throughout the country is roughly $1,500. So let's just say you have 10 properties and therefore you've got uh, 10 times 8,000 or 800. So that's $8,000 and another $1,500 times 10 is $15,000. So you're talking about $23,000 a year or over every 10 year segment, just for those 10 properties, $230,000 in fees. Then what are you getting? Except right. a big bill and a pain in the butt, uh, let alone the fact that corporate uh, veils can also be pierced because I will tell you from our studies, 50% of the clients that are out there do not maintain what's called the correct corporate governance uh, 
in terms of uh, doing the meeting, meetings and minutes and so on and so forth. So if those were ever yanked, the records for the formalities and brought into a courtroom, uh, I, I hate to say it, but most people would be completely toast at that point. With a trust, which is what we recommend, you can put one property. Likewise, you can put 200 properties and have the same level of asset protection because you were told previously one trust, or excuse me, one LLC, one property, that's the best scenario. And truly it's better than multiple properties in one LLC, but no, neither of those is the right approach. The right approach is properties in and, and a properly constructed trust. Now the LLC might own them, and then the, tr and the assets of the LLC can be sold to the trust. I think you see where I'm going here. Mm -hmm. So therefore it's unpierceable. And the way we set up our trust, we've got 58 copyrights on the trust. We have 31,000 clients. And not only is there, we call it the titanium vault asset protection, but not only do they enjoy that where there's nobody that can go into the trust. Heck, governmental bodies can't even go into the trust. Heck, you can't even pierce a trust uh, for, uh, um, oh, what's the word, excuse me, um, for taking a, a eminent domain. You can't, so if you've got a property, which I had a client uh, about a month or so ago, he didn't have a trust, and he lost a property through eminent domain because it was a school who wanted to put uh, up um, some uh, additional offices across the street, and that's right where his apartment building was. And he told me that the check that they wrote him was for roughly the same amount as when he bought it. So all of his equity, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equity went out the window. That could never happen if he had a trust. And likewise, there's never been a case of our type of trust having ever been successfully litigated against unless fraudulent conveyance could have been proven. And fraudulent conveyance can be proved if you're currently in a lawsuit and you want to set up a trust. So other than that, uh, there's no way that that trust is going to be invaded, can be pierced. It's a one-time uh, occurrence to get it set up. There's no monthly, annual uh, uh, fees or responsibilities that need to happen. And so therefore, it's a much easier, simpler, cleaner component in terms of maintenance and setup and in terms of utilization uh, to have a trust. I mean, the real only difference is you get a trust checking account and a trust bank account and you write instead of your name, you write your name and you write TTEE. -E. So we can all do that. It's, it's very easy to write that, that, that right. acronym uh, to the equation. But then there's another component, which I want to share with you, which is the tax mitigation component. May I? Yes, absolutely. Let's go into it. Okay. Here's the part that will also truly get people's attention. All along, and our trust, like I said, I've never seen anything like this. Our trust has an IRC code, 643, 643B, that's been woven into the fabric of the trust. And as such, it so states that all proceeds that go into the corpus of the trust, which they will when you sell, which they will, become tax deferred. Now, that's not tax deferred like we've been talking about 
with a uh, BDRA, which as you know, those types of tax deferred accounts, any type of tax deferred accounts, you start having to take RMDs. And if you don't know what those are, that stands for required minimum withdrawals at 70 and a half. These become tax deferred in perpetuity. Now the laws of perpetuity so state that the trust does not distribute until 21 years after the last of the beneficiaries, of course, you're gone, or the trust owner's gone, uh, 21 years after the last of the beneficiaries and the last of the beneficiaries, heirs is deceased. So by design, everybody in the person's family tree has deceased before the trust actually distributes. This could be 100, 200, 300 years from now. It doesn't really matter, but at that time, it's the equivalent of dying intestate there's not a collectability opportunity at that time because there's nobody there to collect from. So what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about anything other than W-2 income, ostensibly. What do real estate investors receive? They receive two different types of income. One, long or short-term capital gains, right? Mm -hmm. And or two, lease and or rental income. And all of that, can be, should be, and is, once it goes into the trust, deferrable in perpetuity. So think about the opportunity as a real estate investor to not only have the significant additional liquidity, but, but the, the compound interest capabilities that that additional cash can be making you so much more money on, along with the assurance that flippers do get cast Unfortunately, sometimes as the big D, and the big D is dealer. And if you get cast as a dealer, I'm so sorry. It is not going to be classified as short or long-term capital gains. It's ordinary income, and as ordinary income, you also get to pay employment. Uh, you get to pay the employment taxes, and the employment taxes are 15.2, 15.3 on top of ordinary income, which of course is worse than long and short-term capital gains. So again, this is something else that just because we have a trust, the client never becomes subject to dealer status. It's another feather in our real estate investor's cap. Excellent. So there's a, there's a lot of things to touch base on there. Um, I want to kind of go down a mini rabbit trail real quick. Just uh, let's talk sure. about, I've got my regular company set up. I own a bunch of rental properties. You come in and you set up a trust for me. Yep. Now, say my buddy calls me and says, I've got a 200 unit apartment complex that I would like to partner with you on. How do I involve my trust when I'm partnering with someone that's not going to be a partner with anything else that I own, just one multifamily or one port single family portfolio or something like that. How do I incorporate the trust with that? So I still get the benefits. No problem. You'd single that out and you'd have a side, you, you can create a side, uh, a side agreement that they, that they are. Uh, and, and we have this issue uh, come up daily because we have uh uh, folks that uh, are that have multiple single-family rentals that they own in their own portfolio, and then they've got some multifamily, and then they're also involved in syndications. So this is a, a common occurrence 
uh, where they're uh, maybe working with a funder who who is a uh, somebody that they know and they're giving a return on, and they want to they want to do a special carve out on this property and or that property or on these properties. That is a easy easy thing to accomplish. Okay, and then let's go back to the tax mitigation here. Okay, so I've got the trust set up and the funds are going to the trust, and so that helps alleviate some of the taxes that I'm gonna owe. At what point in time do we owe the taxes on it when we take withdrawals? Okay, well, first of all, the notion of withdrawal would mean uh, a taxable consequence. However, let's back up. Because as long as, as I said, pursuant to 643, as long as the money stays in corpus, i.e. inside the trust, then it is not subject to taxes until the, until the trust distributes. Now, your question is a great question, but if I'm taking money out, isn't it subject to tax? Right. Let's go back to how the trust operates, and this, this should clarify. Everything that you do going forward in your personal life, and your business life, with three exceptions, becomes trust business. Therefore, when you're writing checks out, you're, you are creating trust expenses, you're doing business as the trustee of the trust, and therefore you're not taking money out, okay? Gotcha. You're, and the three items that are not, that do become taxable, let me put it that way, would be food, fun, and fashion. But let me back up on the food and the, the, the fun. Nobody said that you cannot have a trust expense when you are uh, and therefore have food, eat when you're discussing a real estate deal with a potential investor, uh, so on and so forth. But I'm saying, hey, come on, you're not going to have groceries every night with the family and talk about the trust for 30 seconds before or after you say your prayers and call that a, 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 a trust expense. Right. That's not right. And we would not condone such a, a, an action. And nobody says you can't have fun. And for instance, maybe you've got kids and maybe you might want to take them to uh, LA and maybe you might want to go to Disneyland. That's fine. You cannot take the Disneyland tickets and write that off. But if you go to the La Brea Tar Pits or one of the other museums or something that's of an educational ilk while you are on your trip, now your plane fare, your hotels, so on and so forth, that all becomes an educational expense, which because you are the trustee, you have the fiduciary responsibility for educational and support and well-being and maintenance. Right. So, you know, for, for someone like myself, who my sole focus is to be a great steward for my investment company, right? Yep. And I'm always worried about what's the, what's the new trendy form of marketing that I'm going to get in front of as many sellers as possible. Um, sure. Are we making the right decisions when we contract a property? Are we wholesaling it? Are we flipping it? Is it going to be a rental? What are we going to do with that? Mm-hmm. When it comes to these types of things, asset protection, tax mitigation, is it, does your team offer that kind of support where they're saying this is how you're supposed to handle these types of things? Or is this something that as investors, we should be educating ourselves constantly on just as much as we are 
how are we going to make more money? We should also be educating ourselves on how we're going to keep the money that we've already made. Well, let me say this. Um, with the trust, we also uh, offer as a part of the encapsulated service, one full year of uh, completely unfettered telephone or email makes no difference. It's not just an email only or, you know, so that you're, we try and run you off. That's not the case. Right. Ourselves available. Well, you will be uh, tagged in with one of our tax professionals. So any questions that you've got that would be relative to investment decisions and or uh, how you're monitoring, running your business, you just, pick up the phone, get them on the, on the phone, and, and they're glad to talk to you, along with the fact that we also will do uh, your, uh, your returns as a part of the, uh, of the first year's package of both your trust and your, and your 1040. Now, all that said, if, it's come, if, if we're talking about mixes of business and what's the best way for me to eat the investor animal you know, or elephant, one which I always say is one bite at a time. Should I be heavier in multifamily? Should I be doing syndication? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And philosophically, uh, from training, I, I've been around the flagpole. I speak for most of the top, um, how can I say it? I speak and we do funding for most of the, of the top promoters in the country. Uh, and because I've also had boot camps on real estate investing, I'm certainly willing uh, to do a carve out of some time when we do a consult with an individual, if they broach that question as to what, based upon where they're currently are, what might make more sense, or if they're, if they're, what they're doing sounds like it's absolutely perfect, keep, you know, keep on keeping on. So uh, hopefully between those two answers that kind of covers that, that question. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and really what I was trying to get across there is, you know, there's a lot that goes into being an entrepreneur and, and even more so in my opinion as a real estate investor, because we're constantly hit with the new, you know, the new shiny object syndrome all the time. I mean, it, it, it's either a new strategy, a new marketing technique, you know, just, just since I've started the podcast, I mean, we went from everybody was doing direct mail to then almost every guest was doing cold calling to then all of a sudden everybody started doing ringless voicemail and now everybody's doing text messaging. I mean, and that's just in like, you know, I, what are we at? We're approaching our second year. You know, that's two years. That's four different strategies that, I mean, I, I interview one guest a week. And it's like every week and then I can see the tide turning where it's like, oh, okay, you're doing ringless voicemail. Well, we should check that out. Who are you using? And then the next three, four, five guests, they're all doing ringless voicemails. And, and it's the same thing when it comes to, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, one, one person might say self-directed IRA and now you're bringing up the business-directed retirement accounts. There's a lot to focus on, and I think the, the main thing is is finding a good fit for your team and making sure that whoever's on your team and, and you're seeing your visions are aligned, and then you, you go down that path that you set for each other. And I completely I, – I love the, the idea of the trust, and it's funny. This is something I wanted to do when I first got started 
I taught myself out of it because I was like, I can't use the money to go get all this set up because that was all my money that I had for marketing, you know? So uh, that being said, there's one more topic that I want to talk about that I think is something that is basically not talked about, uh, which is corporate credit, um, specifically for real estate investors. So what, what are the tips that you have for, for real estate investors and what is corporate credit compared to personal credit? Great. Can I, can I spin back and just also uh, tag in with what you were saying before, before we move forward to corporate credit? And that's this guys. Um, The other, just to kind of augment what RJ was saying, you may also have an interest because of the flavor of the month club, which is what he was talking about, is to have a completely different flavor uh, and maybe have dessert instead of a main course. What I'm saying by that is, is, is this. If you're locked into 1031 exchanges as a way to uh, avoid uh, a capital gains, I'm telling you, you're on a hamster wheel that you can never get off of. And that's not a good hamster wheel to be on because when you sell that last one, you're going to get tagged big time. With our program, there is no hamster hamster wheel because you can use the funds, as we said, for anything which is un, untrue of a 1031. With the 1031, it has to be like kind for like kind. So let's just say that the flavor of next month is maybe it's Bitcoin. And again, that was last month, like you said. <laughs> we'll call that a last month strategy, but and or Amazon or FBA selling is a last month diversification. I, I will say I had one guest on that talked about Bitcoin. That yeah. was not even last month. That was a one episode trend on the Bitcoin. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that lasted one episode. <laughs> but he, my point is, though, guys, if you if you got one of our trusts and there is another shiny object that you want to utilize and implement and augment with your real estate uh, business, this is a true opportunity for you to be able to do that where you couldn't if you are working and investing conventionally. So it's just one other, one other reason that uh, getting a trust or, or exploring getting a trust just makes so gosh darn good, good sense. Yeah. Now, on that, let's segue into the corporate credit question. We also have uh, our corporate credit program. And corporate credit's really different than business credit. The difference to me uh, and most of my peers is if you are getting it with corporate credit, you're getting it with your EIN, not your SSN. Therefore, on all applications for credit, you're only using the EIN because the SSN is not, is not being put on, utilized, therefore you are not PGing, i.e. you're not giving a personal guarantee. So there are two major repositories for corporate credit. They are done in Bradstreet, which has uh, the Paydex score, and then you've got your IntelliScore from Experian. The object is to get at least an 80 or better because then you, that, that is the equivalent of a 700 or better in personal credit. We do have people that are quite literally going through bankruptcy or have gone through bankruptcy who uh, they couldn't qualify to buy a, a loaf of bread with their FICO. However, had stellar or have stellar corporate credit and can qualify to buy a lot of things. 
So corporate credit is built by implementing, which is our program where we work with our clients and you're assigned to the coaching staff and so on and so forth, where you work with, first of all, getting small lines uh, of what we call trade line credit, office supplies, cleaning supplies, you know, stuff that you can use and you're paying it back and you're starting to establish a proven uh, payment track record. And then graduating from there to what we call store line credit, where you're going to get stuff like uh, Lowe's or Home Depot cards that are, again, gotten not with your SSN, but with your EIN. Okay, so God forbid if you folded up shop, um, who knows, they can't come after you personally. And right. that's always a good thing. And then with the ultimate goal in mind, where we're going to be getting you revolving uh, lines of credit uh, for $2,500, $5,000, $10,000 or more. Now, our program uh, guarantees to the client that we will get them a minimum of $50,000 worth of corporate credit. I do not want anybody on the call to think that there's a silver or magic bullet. This is not, cannot, and will not happen in a 30 or 60 day time frame. So I don't want to tell you, let's go with an unrealistic expectation. As I said, we have to have proven track record of payments over a several month period of time. So to get to that first threshold, and that doesn't mean that we aren't gonna get you 100, 150, 200, but we guarantee to get you a minimum of 50. It's usually, takes about a four to six month process to get you to that first real threshold where things really open up for you. And should you wish, we're delighted to discuss that with you and how we can make that happen as well. So let's talk about the, the second step where you go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot. You use those as an example. Um, you're, you're trying to get a business credit card. Now, when I, when I go to those places, and I try to apply for the credit card, they still want me to enter my social security number. Um, how, do you, how do you get around that? How, what's the conversation that you have where you say, hey, I've, I've established my business credit. I mean, is that a conversation that you have with them or how is that done? No. Um, it's done where you just don't. But I caution you, I caution you, or I caution everybody not to try and play doctor. Because if you do, you will likely get a very bad result. And unlike with personal credit, bad results cannot be undone. There's no, there's no way to undo a problem. And the first problem is, is when people do, they, they hear what we're saying, and then they hear, well, that's no problem. I'm just going to get down to Home, Home Depot or Lowe's. I'm going to fill out a credit app and see what happens. Well, I can tell you, unless you've got an 80 Paydex score or better, uh, and you've got multiple trade lines that are reporting and you don't have any late uh, late pays uh, That you may not even know about that We want to check out in the first place to see if you've even got that you are not even aware of you're playing with a loaded cannon Facing right at you. You need to do this in a responsible manner and not try and go for a tier three uh, Type of credit before you've built the firm foundation of tier one and tier two Gotcha Yes, something I really want to make sure that I stress because I don't want people going, damn it, I didn't get approved. And worse, when you get the decline, then it shows on the report 
And then that makes it so much more difficult to get other approvals. Should we go back and try and, and, and unmend, you know, to fix things. All right. So say I've got an LLC mm -hmm. and then all of the assets of the LLC are owned by my trust. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right? Sure. Or multiple LLCs and they're all owned by those. Right. Who is, which one of those entities am I building corporate credit with the trust? No, you want to build corporate credit with one of the entities. With one of the LLCs. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Well, um, you know, I think that is one of those things that first and foremost, I've talked about it with my partners and, and it's one of those things that again, it, you keep bringing up these topics that it's like, it's in one ear. And then it's like, as soon as I sit down on my desk, you know, there's so many different shiny objects, things that have to be taken care of that, you know, I, I think it's very important for us to talk about these things um, as real estate investors. What is probably one of the uh, more creative ways as real estate investors that we could use corporate credit? Oh my gosh, uh, you can use corporate credit for uh, down payment assistance. You can use corporate credit uh, for uh, rehabs. Uh, you can use corporate credit for advertising and getting those uh, uh, voicemail drops. Yep. Uh, it's it's as, as many ways as you can think of in anything that you're utilizing that, that uh, uh, has a cost of fit associated with it, uh, there's an opportunity to utilize corporate credit uh, in lieu of your personal credit once you've got it. There you go. All right, Bruce. Well, you are, you're just a couple more deals away from, from approaching that $100 million mark in real estate investing. So you, I know you've got a, a ton of knowledge. What would be the one tip that you would give to our listeners? Um, you know, say you're a couple of years in as an investor. Uh, what's some of the advice that you would give to someone that, that is right on the brink of either succeeding or failing? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, there's an old expression of uh, you have to eat your own dog food when you believe in something. And if you don't, shame on you. And we, that is my wife and I, have a trust. Now, I can tell you that without a trust, our taxable uh, income last year would was close to $340,000. And I can tell you that we paid close to $10,000. Now, um, there's nothing that is more important than to be able to have cash flow and as importantly, to have asset protection because many of the people that are on this uh, podcast, even if they're just getting started to get started, they have a primary residence and they have 50, 100, $200,000 or more in that, in that uh, property. And the sad fact is, even if you have a living trust, those are only good for probate avoidance and they're only good for uh, naming who your beneficiaries are. There ain't no asset protection with that type of a trust. If you have our type of a trust, you are then asset protected and you will not be out of the game before you even get up to home plate. So to me, the singular most important thing is for people to get a trust so that they are knocked out. They are not going to get knocked out of the game, whether they're rookies getting up to the plate 
or whether they are seasoned vets getting up to the plate. Well, man, I, um, I preach about the importance of cash flow to real estate investors almost weekly um, because I understand it. I'm living it. Like as much as like, I, I want to talk about the platform that I get up here and, you know, thousands of people watch this a week and, and, and that's great. I love it. And I get messages where people look up to us, but the one thing I want to get across is, is that when I get done with this 45 minute interview, I'm right back into the grind. I mean, we're, we're, we're working in this business every day and cash flow is a huge issue. You are the first person that I've ever heard talk about asset protection equals tax mitigation, which increases your cash flow, which is the lifeline of your business. Like that, that right there is uh, a, a golden nugget that, that I could never drop any better than you. So thank you so much for, uh, for sitting down with us today, Bruce, and, and sharing that with our listeners. My pleasure, uh, and, and thank you very much again for inviting me onto your show. Uh, it's, it's been great. Yeah, man. What's the best way for people to connect with you, follow with you, and, and connect with you? Uh, the best way is to go on to, well, first of all, there's, there's two ways. Um, if you want a trust consultation and you also want uh, a consultation on uh, getting some funding for your business potentially, um, the best way, because we're, we block out a 60-minute segment uh, with, uh, with you, is to go on to platinumtrustgroup.com. Com. Again, that's platinumtrustgroup.com. Uh, and there's, if on the left-hand side, or I should say on the left-hand side of the, uh, of the webpage, there's a, uh, a scheduler that is tied right into my Google Calendar, and you'll be able to pick a time, and we'll just have a sit-down, uh, be prepared that when uh, I call to have a computer because I will do a Zoom with you and we'll go through some slides and we'll, we'll, we will talk about your situation and, and see how we can just make your situation better. If it's strictly for funding uh, console, you can go on to our uh, funding site, which is platinumfinancinggroup.com. The calendar there will block you out for a 15-minute segment just so you know what the difference is. So platinumfinancinggroup.com for 15 minutes, Platinum Trust Group for a one-hour consult. Best way to get in touch with me, and I look forward to having a, a sit down over the phone and uh, going over what the specifics are and how we can serve you. There it goes, guys. I'll put those, uh, those links in the show notes below. Bruce, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault.